The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and a wonderful pleasure to be back with you again for yet another week on the Business Elevation Show. And the question today I'm going to pose with my guest Libby Wagner is, what will you do with your 90,000 hours? Uh, before I introduce Libby, uh, a big thank you to Peter Cook for last week's show on innovation. I had a, a real privilege to meet Peter in person this week and, and have a, a great chat and what a great character he is. And a great talking to him about his conversations with Richard Branson and uh, James Dyson and people like that. So if you're interested in innovation and, and enterprise, uh, then do go back and listen to that show from the archive. Now, I was very inspired recently. I was watching the television, and there was a man on it who'd had a terrible illness, and he'd been very badly injured. He was in a wheelchair, and he said something that just struck such a chord with me. He said, people don't appreciate normal enough. And I thought about that, and I thought about how much wisdom there is in that phrase. And this, to me, is actually very true um, this week. And my wife, unfortunately, is unwell in hospital at the moment. And, you know, we're worrying about her, uh, visiting her. Well, also, I'm managing the, the logistics and the thoughts and feelings of two young boys and a dog. And, therefore, I'm really appreciating normal. Because when it's taken away, even temporarily, like in our situation, then you may well miss that normality and wonder why you didn't appreciate your precious time as much as you should have. Hey, if my wife Ruth is listening, um, get well, we miss you. Now... I share this purely because I think that what we're talking to Libby about today is related. It's about how we use our precious time and who we are being during it. So what will you or are you doing with your 90,000 hours of work? So I'm delighted today to invite to you, um, introduce to you the opportunity um, to listen to the boardroom poet Libby Wagner about how to become the best version of yourself by spending your time in work in a way that inspires you and makes you proud. Now, Libby came to me um, very, very highly recommended um, through my network, and I found that she really is a true inspiration. She's a poet, an author, a speaker, is one of the only former poetry professors who's warmly invited into the boardroom. I've been also really, really enjoying listening to Libby, her poetry music compilation uh, in collaboration with uh, musician Owen O'Sullivan. And it's called Harvest, so I'd recommend, we'll talk about that, I'd recommend that you get hold of that. She's a trusted advisor for presidents, CEOs, ex-directors, her work has shaped the cultures of numerous Fortune 500 clients, including Boeing, Nike, um, Philips, a company I know well, Diageo. Uh, she's an award-winning faculty member. Libby holds a Master of Fine Arts in Poetry. She's a graduate of the prestigious Million Dollar Consulting College. Uh, she was honoured in 2014 as uh, uh, Nellie Cashman Woman Business Owner of the Year. She's been quoted in the New York Times, the Harvard Business Review, 
She's author of Amazon bestseller, The Influencing Option, The Art of Building a Profit Culture in Your Business. Her poetry collections like this, like that, and somehow, and what will you do with your 90,000 hours? So a huge um, welcome uh, to Libby, who I just love her. I'd love it if she could start off with uh, a little bit of a poetry, please. Thank you, Chris. I'm so glad to be speaking to you today from from Seattle, beautiful, green, wet, gray Seattle. And I'd like to start by sharing a poem called Diving In. Sometimes you want to wade slowly in. First, tender feet on a rough beach, sharp stones and pebbles, making your hesitant way to ankles, knees, hips, you're breathing faster, getting used to it a little at a time. That's one way. But this is a hot, sleepless night with dreams you had long forgot. Your unknown future is out there. The surface of the lake glitters under moonlight. It is cool and silky. But the deep, dark waters hold secrets unknown. Dangerous boulders or felled logs You cannot predict this, or the terrible chance that you might instead skim the surface of your life, or worse, dangle your feet from the safe seat of the dock. If you can imagine that first sensation, that realization that you have let go of the solid ground beneath your feet, the ground you grew to trust or take for granted, Then this beautiful, buoyant body of yours, baptized by longing and desire, can rise up, trailing luminescent moonlight from your fingertips, breathless and bold. Wow. Thank you very much. I'm... I feel like I've still got the CD on that I've been listening to all week. It's a privilege (laughs) to hear you do that uh, that live. (laughs) So... So, Libby, tell us what inspired your love of poetry. Maybe you should also tell us why, why you, you know, why you wrote "Diving In" and, and also why you chose to link it with business. Great, that's a really great question, Chris. And um, so, a little bit about diving in. I think. Um, all of us find ourselves sometimes at the edge of something. We can see sort of the glittery surface of it out there, and we know that there might be something good, but in truth, we don't actually know what that future horizon holds for us. And, uh, and it takes a lot of courage to dive in. Sometimes it takes courage to not dive in, but I think most people don't want to skim the surface of their life. And I think whether we're talking about business or things that are very personal and close to us. So part of what I wrote diving in for was I was, you know, I was expressing this idea of, you know, what if I don't go for it? What if I don't do it? And, um, and then yet, and then yet again, what if I do? And so um, I like to use that poem when I meet with groups and, and business leaders and entrepreneurs because most of them uh, are on the, on the edge of needing to dive into something. And so I, I like to give them a little wish at the beginning that I hope they leave a little more dangerous than when they arrived. Wow. Well, you, you very kindly introduced me to Stuart Cross and, and Stuart was on the show a few weeks ago. And I remember asking Stuart, we're talking about planning and also um, action. And I was asking him, you know, when you're, when you're planning projects and things, where's the kind of line between planning and action? And he said you should always plan well, but, but in general, err on the side of action. 
and that, you know that sort of seems to fit the message nicely about actually you know we often are you know on the edge there and maybe we do need to to take that step and take the action and dive in absolutely you know um in terms of thinking about how poetry might fit into business and why i take it into businesses you know i i um uh, sometimes I'm meeting with a group. I, in fact, recently I was with a group of engineers, and I and I wrote up on the board, the, you know, the following items: courage, noticing, remembering your hum- humanity, saying the unsayable. And I said to them, "When do you need to use these things? You know, when do you need to use courage? Do you ever have to say the unsayable? Is noticing part of your work?" And of course, it seems like an obvious question. But what happens, you know, most of the time is people say, well, yeah, we got to use this every day. And I say, well, these are the things that a poet does. And this is the, this is the way we're going to begin our conversation, is we're going to look at it and enter into it in a very different way. And so that's part of the way that I am arresting people's attention, is to have different sorts of conversations. Well, it's quite, it's quite, quite a unique, unique way to do that, isn't it? So, I mean, some people do use art, but actually poetry, you know, somehow... There can be something special in those words, which, which sometimes are almost beyond words, if that makes any kind of sense. Of course. And, you know, um, a, a very good friend and colleague of mine, um, the poet David White, you know, he was certainly one of the first people in a large way to go into companies and use poetry. Um, and, um, you know, we collaborate together on something called the Institute for Conversational Leadership. And then, you know, Claire Morgan at Oxford wrote a book a few years ago called What Poetry Brings to Business. And, um, you know, she actually did work with um, uh, Boston Consulting Group, and they used poems in their, their actual discussion about business issues. So it is still pretty rare, and not very many people do it, but I do think that art music and those kinds of things play a very uh, important human role and the bottom line chris is that like we, human beings are showing up to work mm. I, saw, I saw somebody recently and i'd love to remember his name but he was he was a, a conductor of an orchestra and he passed around an orchestral script and he basically said you know if we missed any of that out would we you know would it have the same impact and effect and then we, we said well no, you know, you need to play, play the piece all the way through. And he said, so why, why um, do businesses often set a, a plan or a strategy and they don't follow it through? Are they going to get the result that they wanted? And, and I just thought that was a really interesting mm-hmm. way of, you know, highlighting a, 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 a point, you know, a valuable point. Now, I mentioned that I really enjoyed your poetry and, you know, generally I really, really did enjoy it. And you've actually opened me up to... A very different listening experience. I'm usually listening to music or I'm listening to audio books, podcasts and tapes and the like. And I wonder where did the idea come from to set your poetry to, you know, really great music? Well, uh, another great question and kind of a fun story. So about six or so years ago, I was in, I was traveling in Italy and I met these two Irish guys um we like to refer to them as the lads and um but they're really amazing musicians um Owen and Molly O'Sullivan um their their father Michal O'Sullivan their mother Nor- Noreen Nurian are very famous accomplished musicians musicologists in Ireland and um so I met them quite um coincidentally and we just became famous fast friends and 
So a, a year ago, Owen and I decided we wanted to do a collaboration, and because we're both very interested in the you know the artistry and and artistic edge and you know things like that, and I had done um, uh, a lot of readings and recordings um, just in general, but. What was great and fun about this project is that normally if you hear poetry, you, you can hear poetry set to music, but usually what it is is the poet is reading or reciting the work and then you might hear like a little tinkle music underneath or a little guitar music or something like that. But what Owen wanted to do, because he's this brilliant composer and musical mind, is he wanted to, we went to Avatar Studios in New York, we recorded the poetry tracks, Just My Voice, and then he pulled the poise tracks apart and wrote original music so that actually the CD that you're listening to, it's a conversation between the lines of poetry and the music itself. It's very unique. I don't actually know anyone else who's done that before. Yeah, I've not not heard anything like it. And I thought it was, you know, a fantastic collaboration. So thank you. Well well done. I hope it, hope it takes, um, you know, I hope a lot of people get to listen to that. So we're going to say something. No, I was just gonna. I was just curious about you know if you had a particular experience in listening because some people sometimes people are like you know well you know why would I listen to this what you know what difference would it make to me and I was just was curious if you if you had a particular thing that you noticed that was important to you. I, I think what I felt was it was the. I, I think it was conjuring up stories for me. So it's, it was quite meditative in some respects, mm. uh, but also mm. inspiring as well. So it's, it was both meditative and gave me energy, I felt. And it got me thinking about, you know, my mind would drift off into, you know, things that were happening, that happened in my life that I could kind of relate to, you know, like what you mentioned there, diving in. And I, I really loved the, the swan so at the end, I, I, and I thought about that. I used to get up very early in the morning, particularly as a child, and fish and watch the swans, you know, taking off. Mm. And so it really, I found it really, you know, ins- inspirational, and and I enjoyed the the quality of the music with it as well. And, and I think it's something that you, you know, I will keep coming back to actually. Well, thank you, thank you. I I think I'm I'm glad to hear it was meditative for you. That was that's p- was part of the intention. I think was to create that space for that. So we've got about four minutes till break, and I want to now get on to um, you know, what will you do with your 90,000 hours. So tell us why you decided to write that book and what it's about. Well, uh, I get invited to do a lot of speaking, and uh, years ago I was invited to speak to at, at a graduation, but it was kind of a unique graduation because it was a group of people who had just completed an academy to become prison guards. And so I love graduations, and I was thinking about, wow, okay, well, what can I say? What can be inspiring? Because frankly, even though um, I have taught poetry in prisons, and I've been in prisons, much to my mother's dismay, um, you know, not everybody wants to work there. And so I, I was trying to think of what I could say, and I started to do a little bit of calculation. You know, if you start working at this age, and you work this many hours a week, et cetera, et cetera, and I, I kind of like to call it poet's math, I came up with this 90,000 hours, and it was kind of a staggering number. Wow, 90,000 hours at work. That's not 90,000 hours getting up and fishing at dawn or taking your dog for a walk or playing with your sons. It's 90,000 hours working. And a lot of people, especially in, in you know, modern day, feel like they've worked 90,000 hours last week. <laughs> so, um, so part of it was just to say, wow, if that's really the kind of time we invest in our work and the people with the people in, in that work, you know, how will we spend it? 
So um, I write a regular monthly column called The Culture Coach, and, um, and we decided to take some of, some of those best um, ideas about creating great culture, um, especially around this idea of the quality of the time that you spend at work, and then we collected those, put them together, I added a few new ones, and that was really um, how it came about. Right, great, great idea. I think sometimes people you know, don't really you know, appreciate that time at work. So, you know, people go to work and they come home and they see it as being about the weekends and uh, aren't giving the best of themselves. And actually your life energy is draining away, so you might as well use it really, really well. And it, and it ought to be as fun as being out of work. Absolutely. And I, you know, the other thing is people are craving connection, intimacy, and meaning, no matter what the technology experts tell you. And, um, and they also want pragmatic solutions. My first book was really about pragmatic solutions, the influencing option. But it's really this balance between meaning and purpose and also getting things done, being successful, getting the results you want. It's both of those things. Um, I think that's what the topics of your uh, you know, business elevation show often address. Absolutely. And at the beginning of the book, you talk about one of the, the first chapters is called What is Your Language of Hope? Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your language of hope about? Well, I think that one of the things, um, you know, that I talked to my friend David about is that you cannot avoid heartbreak, loss, or grief. And when we think we can, we start as soon as we're conscious of it to say, let's do everything to avoid this. But we can't avoid it. It's part of the human experience. And I think for me personally... My language of hope is probably in reference to the natural world. You know, no matter what I do, Chris, the sun comes up tomorrow, like mm-hmm. it, without my permission, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, um, and the seasonal change of things creates a sense of hopefulness for me. So I think that, you know, I like to use Emily Dickinson's line, I dwell in possibility. And it doesn't mean that I don't have goals or measurements or things like that, but that this notion of possibility, that tomorrow's a do-over, you know, the way that I set up my mind, that, that's my language of hope. I really sense that in the, in the, Harvest the your your recording. Lots of the the recordings are really sort of starting at the beginning of the day, and your experience from the beginning of the day, and you know the the, the light coming up, and uh, my mind was starting to drift to the different places you you visit and that you call home that I'd never heard of. Uh, mm. Part of your life experience, really, and it made me then start to think about mine and you know, the different places that are very much home to me and are, are special to me, really. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, th- I think, you know, um, you have such a great tradition in your country, of course, um, in the, the, lang- you know, the English language of, um, you know, poetry and expression and articulation associated with the, you know, the natural world. But, um, you know, there are different ways that we create la- our own language of hope. And I think what the most important thing is that we have to connect with it. It doesn't matter what it is. We just have to connect with it. Y- yeah. And, and gain a sense of gratitude maybe from it and, uh, and appreciation and wonder and you know, they're a great way to start the day actually. Well, and uh, back to your idea about pe- people don't appreciate normal. You know, we're addicted to speed. I, I, I think Americans might be the worst in the world but I'm not sure but we're addicted to speed and when we're moving too fast we don't notice things. Yeah. We're going to go to commercial break now and after the break we shall look at some of the um, the other elements and important uh, uh, points that uh, come up in the book what will you do with your 90,000 hours and uh, you know as we'd expect uh, with uh, Libby there's some real kind of poetic 
thought in there as well. So do join us again. There's a lot more exciting conversation to, uh, to come back to. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm loving talking with libby wagner uh, and uh, we were chatting about the um, what we would do with your ninety thousand hours and libby this next question seems quite poignant and appropriate for uh, people in the UK who chose to, uh, to Brexit and leave the European Union uh, mm. recently. Not, not what I voted for. I believe, always believe we should be together. But I wonder why uh, do you say in your book that we should not be an island? Well, um, gosh, you know, I'd like nothing more to be in a you know, pub in London having a chat with um, some of your 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 country folk actually i bet there's some fascinating and poignant and painful conversations going on there um you know um one thing that i find is that fear masks talent and fear masks excellence and i feel like we're at this particular place in the world right now in our in our countries, in our organizations, in our families and relationships, where we have, um, you know, uh, cultivated a sense of pride and independence around things, but we, we've been operating on this idea, and, and, you know, I'd love to hear if you think this is true, you know, in the UK too, but I, you know, I know it, you know, in the, in the US, part of what we 
it's sort of like it's a two-sided coin. On the one side, we have, you know, in, uh, independence and perseverance and pride and so on. And those are admirable qualities. But on the other side, we can get narrow and we can, we can fall under the mythical assumption that we're doing something on our own. And the truth is we do nothing on our own. Nothing. You know, we're always receiving in, invisible, invisible help. That's one thing that we talk about in our, in our work um, within VITAS, visible and invisible help. And that um, as the world grows, you know, smaller per se, as we have access to one another, we need to be in meaningful conversation with one another. And that's the thing that strikes me about a lot of things that are going on in the world today and, and causes me a lot of pain. I, I, I wonder every day, like, wow, what, what can I do to make an impact on this? And because I feel like part of it is we're not having meaningful conversations. And when you think you are on an island or you think you are, um, you know, separate from others, you can't be in conversation. And I think it's actually the only way that we're going to come up to any sort of answers to um, the things that are causing us pain and suffering. I completely agree. It just We feel like we're at a point in history where people need to come together. Uh, come together more than they ever have done before, really. And you know, some of the things like you know this uh, this independence uh, sometimes uh, it, it is more you know isolates you more really, and it becomes a bit more of us than them. Uh, and I think uh, you know something like a European Union hopefully you know breaks down some of those barriers when it's working well. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I, I feel, you know, there are things that are going on in the U.S. that, you know, like, wow, I don't even know how to talk about them, honestly. And, and it reminds me of, like, here's part of my language of hope again, is that, um, you know, one of the things my friend uh, David White uh, said to me years ago, and I use this all the time, actually, he said, right when you're on the threshold of some important transformation, you have to get really tired of yourself. And that always makes me laugh because I think, wow, I'm regularly tired of myself, so gosh, I must be <laughs> you know, in constant transformation, which is somewhat true. But I think it's also true of organizations, and I think it's true of countries. And um, you know, my wish is that we wouldn't have to get so tired of ourselves that we would be killing each other. But, but that, you know, we could say, wow, all right, this place where we are right now, it's not sustainable. It's too painful. So, so that's the language of hope is like, all right, then, what does that future horizon bring us? What are the opportunities and the beautiful questions on the horizon? Yeah. And one question that's, I think, is related to that is, is that, you know, at the moment we just seem to have so much ambiguity. And in business and in life, we often have to, to deal with ambiguity. So during your 90,000 hours, how should you deal with that? How should you perceive it and act upon it. Well, one thing that I learned when I first became an entrepreneur, you know, I was a college professor for a long time, which meant, you know, I had a regular paycheck and all those kinds of things that we believe equal security. And I went out into this entrepreneurial life and there was a lot more ambiguity to deal with, especially in the way of things like survival issues, like, you know, when was I going to get paid and was I going to get business and things like that. And it was a great practice in dealing with ambiguity. Business leaders have to deal with ambiguity all the time. Um, in fact, it's their job to deal with ambiguity. And the thing that I noticed when I started mentoring other 
entrepreneurs was that the differentiator wasn't did they have a great skill to offer the world or a great product or service you know did they have a wonderful business idea it was how could they deal with ambiguity how did they talk to themselves in the middle of winning or losing and 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 not knowing what the future holds and so i think on one hand um, I was recently quoted in a new book called Put Your Intuition to Work. And, you know, part of what I think is it's a combination, Chris, of both intuition and reason. Like we need to be able to look at ev- the evidence that we have, even though we may not have all of it. And we need to also rely on our, you know, on our intuition. And so we have to trust the things we know. And we also have to trust things that we don't know. Um, and, you know, it's one of the hardest things to deal with ambiguity. It's, a, it's, that, um, it's that place where fear comes up. But I do believe that what we were just talking about before, that if we're in conversation with ourselves, with our work, with others, then, you know, we, I really do think we can figure things out together. Mm. And I think it's definitely, you know, in those situations, uh, you know, sometimes other people by coming together and that the right people, you can shift from ambiguity to clarity, uh, but you can't always do that on your own. No, I don't think you can do it on your own. I mean, my my business mentor, Alan Weiss, you know, one of the things he said when when um, when I started out on my own is he said you need you need community and you need the support of other peoples, even if you believe you're a lone wolf and an independent person or consultant or whatever it is. You know, you're going to have a solo business because otherwise you'll be breathing your own exhaust. That's mm. a very Amer- American thing to say, yeah. but, but you know, but it but it's kind of true. You and and. And so, I mean, I also think that, you know, when we can borrow or rely on the faith and wisdom of others when we're not feeling so great about dealing with ambiguity, like that's how we create, create those connections and bonds. And we can, we, we can borrow it from each other when we don't have it. And then we can give to one another when we do. And that's really, really so true. And, and I'm really seeing that, you know, I mentioned my situation this week, which is a little bit, it's quite, it's quite unsettling for us. However... What I probably when it, earlier in the week, I was thinking, well, what do I do? But a few phone calls and a few sharing of experience with with people, and suddenly this whole network of people have come forward, offering help and assistance and support, and you know, and actually, you know, I think that's bringing me closer to them as well. Um, and I, you know, I realise we it's it's good sometimes you give it out a lot, but actually, it's also very rewarding to receive it too sometimes when you need it. Oh, absolutely. I actually think that um, there's a difference between receiving and taking. And, um, you know, we're not actually very good receivers either, Uh. either, you know. Um, And so, um, you know, letting people um, be there for your family or, um, you know, letting people provide their wisdom or advice or even just silence, just presence, you know, in a time where, um, we ha- we are dealing with those things like grief or loss or um, anxiety or um, things that are uncertain. You know, um, we can do it. So tell me one uh, little you know chapter in the book that I thought was was uh, well worth uh, discussing um, was about ending old conversations. And I do often meet people, and I can look back in my past and had a, an old conversation running. How do we end an old conversation somewhere where we're stuck and then start a new way of being? Well, um, I mentioned to you before that um, I work with uh, an organization called the Institute for Conversational Leadership. 
And we have a, a program that we do called Invitas, and we're working with leaders in very non-traditional ways. And the very first thing that we ask them to do, which requires a lot of self-assessment and reflection, is, the, is to identify the conversation they need to stop having. Mm. And you know you need to stop having it because it's exhausting you. It's not bringing you any fruit. In fact, you're kind of sick of yourself. Like you don't even like the, you hear yourself talking about it and you think, why, why am I saying this again? You know, why am I in the same place? And you can do that individually, but you can also do it in a family or a marriage and you can, it can happen on a team or in an organization. But we need to recognize that that old conversation that's no longer working must be um, let to ruin. And um, so we can make space for that new horizon and that new threshold that we need to cross. But, you know, there's lots of reasons we get embedded. You know, these stories get, get to be, you know, mythological in their proportion. And we like telling them over and over again. But they're really not serving us anymore. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest places that we have to go is we have to identify that we need to, and that's the very first step. First, you have to recognize what that story is that's no longer working for you, that conversation. And then you need to look for the invitation or the beautiful question that invites you to a new future. Mm-hmm. 20, 20 years ago, probably almost to the month, I went on a real kind of transformational personal development program that changed my life, actually. And, and I, from that point, got fascinated with self-development and one of the exercises that they got you to do was to uh, to identify a story that maybe you were you were running about somebody or something and you had to share that story to somebody while they laughed at you mm. and and it was really, and they had to keep on laughing at you and you had to keep on telling your, telling your story and, and and it had all sorts of reactions with people i mean most people mm. most people um, burst into laughter as well and then once mm-hmm. they did that they suddenly it's like the bubble had burst Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was quite, it was quite, uh, quite a fascinating experience. Potentially quite brutal, but you know, it did, it did, it did quite a few people a lot of good. I bet, I bet that was a very powerful experience. And um, and you know, in the in the sharing, you know, sometimes of our, you know, intimate failures or or um, you know, disappointments, um, you know, we lose our perspective, don't we? We do. And, um, and so, you know, that, that's another reason why we're not, like, we need people around us who can, um, who can, you know, gently and compassionately, but directly tell us the truth about what they are seeing or hearing and, and hold us to our, our best and higher selves. Mm -hmm. And um, so that must have been very jarring and very, very powerful. I think kind of help people to get out of the way of themselves and realize that actually, it was just their story, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> and they, all these meanings had made something mean and they were holding on to it and it right. was, there was lots of worry and anxiety and things behind right. it and then suddenly there became a point when they actually realised that it was, uh, on the scale of things, it was completely immaterial really <laughs> and, it was, uh, uh, and, and they let it go. Um, and a great relief to let it go, I bet. Yeah. I mean, we, ca- we really do, we carry these big burdensome things and I think, I mean, I think sometimes, you know, in our, in our, our, um, you know, our worshiping of, of, of speed. And I, I like to call it work, worshiping at the church of busyness. I might've remember, uh, mentioned that before, but you know, when we get, when we get in that space, sometimes 
you know, we think, all right, well, I'm going to rush to let this go. And, but, uh, but a conversation that you need to let go is one that you've been having for a very long time. It's not about not acknowledging your sadness or disappointment or loss. And those things happen at work as much as they happen at home. And um, especially if you're spending 90,000 hours there. I mean, it's not like, you know, the, on, the only human things happen, you know, when you, when you get in your car and you, and you go home. You're having lots of human experiences at work too. But the real discernment is... You know, is this conversation working? Is it is it creating expansion and invitation, or is it just old and tired and heavy? And and it's time to let go of it. It is now. Now, many leaders blame others for their shortcomings, and uh, I, I see that in organisations that I, that I work with, and it's about them. How do you get leaders to realise that? You know, where the problem often lies is with themselves. Well, yeah, that's that's a really great question. I used to tell people that you know, you know, people would hear about what I did, you know, because you know, sometimes what I'm doing is you know helping to create you know better organizations, high performing, more trust, you know, things like that, impacting cultural things. And um, so, so the leader would call me and say, you know. Ugh, can you please fix these people over mm. here? You know, <laughs> and um, and you know, uh, I I always say, well, let you know, let's talk about that a little bit. And um, I think you know, um, the the best kind of leaders have the ability to self-assess and reflect, to look for behavioral evidence that they need to own that's their own. And then they need to ask for what they want. And a lot of times what happens is we sort of get into patterns of not having the kinds of courageous conversations that we need to have or defaulting to using our position power rather than um, our personal power of relationship. And so a lot of times, you know, I do have that sort of conversation with leaders saying, you know, dude, it's you. You know, you, 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 have to, you have to begin where you are. In fact, I was just having a conversation the other day with a, um, someone I'm working with and um, um, working with the CEO and, and someone who works underneath him was complaining about this person and saying they didn't listen and so on. And I said, well, let me tell you something. If someone invites me in to work with them, this is not an easy thing because there's no way I'm going to let him get away with not being able to look at what he's specifically responsible for. So it takes a lot of courage, Chris, to own, to own up for your role in enabling whatever is going on in your organization. It takes a lot of courage. But if you're willing to do it, and, and it's not about, you know, whipping yourself or, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, it's a, it, it's a dynamic. It's a system. But, you, but the leader must take ownership for what he or she is contributing or allowing. I, I love that the... It was, Something I took out of the Stephen M. R. Kobe's book on the speed of trust, which I mm. I always recite, which is that a you know leader when things are going well they should look through the window, and you know give the credit to others. But when things are going badly, you need to look in the mirror. Mm. And I just think that is you know something helpful, a frame to sort of think about. Um, yes, because there's quite a bit of power in that. Absolutely, so, it's a really that's a really great paradigm. Mm. So we're going to go to a commercial break again now, and uh, after the break, we're going to look at uh, uh, some other aspects of um, of the book and, uh, and Libby's thoughts. And if there's time, we might even persuade Libby to share another poem. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and I'm delighted to be talking with uh, Libby Wagner. Um, we were talking during the break about uh, about about Brexit, and I nearly ran over because um, uh, Libby suddenly got me on my soapbox. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk now about um, honouring your in- inheritance, which uh, I think is is also probably interesting with regards to what's happening over here in the UK at the moment. So, and in, in your book, Libby, you talk about honouring uh, the importance of honouring your inheritance and and also reviving ritual in your business. And I wonder what what that means and what are the benefits. Well, it is interesting to look at that question sort of in the context of thinking about, um, you know, what countries do and, and, and decisions that people make and, and all of the things that, that come to bear, that you bring to bear on a situation or a particular decision. And um, I'd like to talk about this a little bit um, around the notion of artistry. So if you think about um, businesses in particular, um, you know, most businesses, unless it's a, cre- a you know a stated creative firm, they're not going to talk very much about artistry. It's not part of the regular language of business. But um, part of what I, how I define artistry, and I think everyone is creative. And the word that someone will use inside a company is innovative. And um, I, I know you had a speaker recently talking about innovation. And so um, the thing is, is that. Um, we can't help but be creative beings um, and that when we limit the notion of art- artistry to something like, well, I compose music or play music or I paint or I sculpt or I, you know, whatever, um, you know, we know that's such a limited 
um, uh, view of what artistry is. And so part of how I see this is to, is to engage with the notion of honoring your inheritance. And I look at this very broadly. So if you think about, you know, Chris, all of the experiences that you've had, the places you've lived, the places you've traveled, the teachers you've had, your family, it's not only the fact that you, you know, you're a, you're a European citizen, a British man, you, you, there are all of these other things that you bring to bear on every on this interview that we're having today on the way that you are with your you know your children and your wife Ruth with the way you are with your clients you know that's your artistry is to take everything you've been given and to create something new with it and i think that organizations need to do that same sort of thing you know what did we inherit from our founders what have we inherited from our clients and customers what's going on in the world around us in our social time and and space and then how are we going to take those things that we've inherited and create something new which is our artistry and and the reason that this is also important is that we're managing and navigating massive change like no other time in history and so how are we going to do that with, you know, the, the most amount of thoughtfulness? Um, when I go in and work with organizations, I introduce them to something that I call a model for thoughtful change. And the third element of this is honoring your inheritance. So if you think about work you've done with, with companies and you're saying, hey, you know, we've got all this change, we've got to deal with new markets, you know, all of this talk that business people are often engaged in. And then you've got people who've been there for a long time and people are calling them things like dinosaur or old school or whatever mm. they're not coming along and it's because we're not honoring that inheritance either and so that's that conversation that we need to have about you know what are we bringing to bear on this new place we want to go so I think it's really important for businesses and individuals to figure out how to navigate that because then you're going to get the innovation then you're going to get the creativity that's really going to you know um further your progress towards your goal or your vision for the future does that make sense no it does absolutely and you know my mind was was thinking there about you know when sometimes when young younger people uh, now um, i'm in my in my 40s but you know you see younger people coming into business and they kind of want to change change everything and sometimes don't respect the inheritance and they don't expect always the, the rituals that might occur in organizations and it kind of upsets people i do think sometimes that there's you know by by taking the time to really understand that inheritance and, and talking to the people who've been around who've probably seen it all before, uh, you could maybe access more of the wisdom. Absolutely. And, and mitigate lots of resistance. Yeah, you know, Part of the reasons that people get stuck is because they don't know how to navigate this space. You know, we want the, um, the enthusiastic ingenuity of new, the new generations showing up to work. We want, their, we want their interest and lack of fear around technology. Like we, want all, we want them to bring what they have. And at, and at the same time, that's messy, right? So to bring all of that new into the thing that might have created the success in the past or the stability. So if you're not having a conversation about that and not honoring really what each is bringing to the conversation, that's when we get stuck or we get off track or we destroy things or, or whatever. But I think, you know, we want to race past that and say, well, something ha- different has to happen, which might be true. But how do we honor what we've been given and where, how we've arrived here? Absolutely. I was listening uh, to a, a journalist uh, called John Simpson, and he had been around when, so I'm going back to the European Union thing again, but he had been around when that 
was first initiated and he'd reported on that and then he was reporting on the, on the evening that uh, the news came that we were going to leave it and they asked him what the you know what his experience was of the two and he said well he said back then people were much they were more, it was a nicer time people were much much kinder to each other and they trusted the politicians and they trusted the newspapers but of course that's all changed and i, I just wonder libby with you know, these all this time we spend at work and you know the environment at the moment and all of this change how do we introduce more kindness back into our work well i think you know there's a there's a significant lack of empathy in um in in the in the modern world you know we um if you just look at media popular culture you know it's it's become um you know we watch people make fun of each other um, or diss each other. Um, you know, Lynn Truss, who's, who's from Britain, wrote a great book a few years ago called Talk to the Hand. And, um, you know, it, and a lot of that book is really about the lack of empathy in our culture. And I think we, you know, in our, our haste to label people, we cease to see them as people. We forget to presume good intent. And um, one of the things that I do is I help people work out sort of the, you know, the, the practical and human notion of presuming good intent. You know, that, that person across from you actually, you know, they want to do a good job and they want to be recognized for doing a good job and they're, they're motivated by intrinsic factors. And if you think about that in terms of everything, whether we're talking about countries or teams, you know, it's, hu- it's a human being. And um, so this notion of kindness means that, you know, that we might actually recognize the humanity in the other person. And it's so easy to get off track with that. You know, it's really easy actually to, de- to demonstrate empathy uh, to someone we love or whom we like, not so much to the other. But when we do, we create a greater foundation of trust. And, um, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why, why David White's work that came out in 99, um, The Heart Aroused, Preserving the Soul of Corporate America, which has certainly been popular internationally. It was sort of the idea that, especially in work, but I think it comes, it's bigger than that, that the idea that, you know, you know when you come into this realm, you leave your soul, you leave your kindness, you leave your humanity outside the doors of work and you come in here. And I think it's true for politics. It's true for those, those realms that, that, frankly, you know, have utilized the masculine principle of focus, determination, ambition, and, and have sometimes rejected the feminine principles of mm. collaboration, communication, um, integration. And we need both principles, actually, um, to be able to, it, you know, it's not about like just being nice and letting somebody walk all over you. It's not about that. Actually, it's about finding common ground and seeing the humanity in it and rising above, you know, some of the things that destroy us. I'd love you to share another poem, if you wouldn't mind. And I was thinking that we, we seem to be on the, you know, the threshold of something. Uh, and I know you've got a poem called Threshold. I wonder, would you, would you be kind of to share that to us? 
Great. I'd love to. And I, this is a, a brand new poem. So my friend Owen always says when you do something for the first time, you call it a world premiere. So here it is. <laughs> it's the world premiere on uh, the Business Elevation Show. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about that idea of diving in and, and you know, and, and crossing a threshold is a very ritualistic act. You know, you have to, uh, you know, give up that solid ground beneath your feet and move forward. And sometimes these thresholds are very, very personal. Sometimes they're, they're a business thing, but but the most important thing is that it takes a lot of courage. So I'll I'll finish with this, Chris. It's called Threshold. It's not the sort of thing you plan for. Dropping to your knees in the name of a love from which you may never recover. But while you're down there, you might as well pray for something other than what you thought you might want or deserve. Maybe grace. Or mercy. Maybe a simple sliver of light in the tiny windows lined with blackbirds and crows. You think you know what it will take to rise, but here's how things go. The bow makes music seem easy across the strings, yet it takes years to find just the right touch, the right angle of elbow and wrist. Just then, you realize how impossible this might be, the phenomenology of crossing over and what it takes to learn to love a love that cracks you open like this again and again. You make a promise to yourself, and for once, it holds you to it. For once, it sets you free. Wow, well, thank you for the, the premiere. That was, that was incredible. Thank you. Uh, I just want to sort of move towards the end of the interview, and I'd just be fascinated to know if you have any you know, final messages for us, really, um, that you'd like to share. Well, I think, um, you know, the poem is often my final message, but I, I would just love to invite people to think about, um, you know, their 90,000 hours and beyond and, and the way that they cultivate wholeheartedness in their work and the way they're entering into the conversation of their world. Um, I think now more than ever, we need poetry in our lives and the things that it gives us, the way it arrests our attention and helps us to enter into a space that's unique and different and bold. And I thank you for your artistry with your radio show and all of your guests that you have, including me. So thank you so much, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, talking with you and, you know, really lots of insightful thought there about using that 90,000 hours well and dealing with ambiguity and ending old conversations and thinking about inheritance and, and bringing more, more kindness into our work. And I think, you know, your work is very inspirational I'd recommend to people like you, you to get hold of the um, Harvest and have a listen to that and see what you think and what you take from it if you've enjoyed uh, Libby's uh, poetry today. Uh, and also, um, what will you do with your 90,000 hours? And if you want to find out more about uh, Libby and how to access uh, this uh, great material, uh, then go to LibbyWagner.com. Uh, and on next week's show, I'm delighted to say that we have um, Eamon O'Brien and we're going to be talking about... Um, podcasting and online radio because I've been doing, I think the show today with Libby is uh, my 210th hour of it. I've been doing this for nearly five years and uh, Eamon has also has his own um, podcast show and we thought, well actually, why don't we share some of the tips and thoughts and ideas on, on how to um, effectively 
you know, pull a show together and how to interview uh, people. And also, if you want to be, you know, a great guest like Libby, um, how to be a guest on a show like this, what works and how do you get the most benefit and mileage and uh, engagement from what you do. So we'll be doing that again, uh, doing that next week. Uh, in the meantime, um, a big thank you to Libby. Uh, once again, and uh, and I wish you all a tremendous week. And if you'd like more information on further shows coming up, uh, do go to chriscooper.co.uk and su- subscribe there to the uh, to the newsletter. It comes out once a month, and we update you on what's uh, what's happening. Thank you. you for listening to the business elevation show please join your host chris cooper again next friday at 8 a.m u.s pacific time on the voice america business channel be more achieve more